It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're back for the second time this week. I told you we were going to do two podcasts this week, and I have delivered for you, the fan. Uh, we had Danny Higginbottom on here Tuesday, previewing the season opener on Saturday. Uh, a little later in this podcast, I'm going to get to your questions, comments, concerns, and season predictions. But, you know, it's still technically the off season, and we like to have different people on the show, people with interesting stories and interesting backgrounds, uh, people who like the beautiful game just as much as we do. And uh, one of those people is joining us right now from Telemundo 62 and NBC 10. It's meteorologist Violetta Yas joining the show. Welcome aboard. How are you? Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. I, I uh, First of all, congratulations on the new job. You are headed off to New York. So I'm glad we got you on uh, while you are still a Philadelphia meteorologist. Um, <laughs> I was going to do a trader joke that you're leaving us for New York, but uh, you are from North Jersey. So I guess this is a homecoming for you. Yeah, it, it is. But also don't worry because other people did it for you. <laughs> because I already got pl- I already got plenty of those. Um, yeah, you're giving up on us. You're leaving Philadelphia. You're, uh, you know, going I've, to I've big, getting, big, bad New York. And- I've been getting the cold shoulder for uh, even um, downstairs. I'll usually stop by and grab um, coffee on my way in. Uh, you know, I see them every day. So, you know, we're all really tight and talk all the time. And they've been giving me super cold shoulder. They said, you know, we're going to give you decaf <laughs> until until you are on your way. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's bittersweet for sure. Honestly, Philly has been um, excellent to me, has been excellent to me. It really has been um, eight years. I've been here eight years and it's been awesome. And of course, the people, that usually means it's because of the people. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, you're actually the second meteorologist to come on the show. Um, do you know Katie Fallinger? I do. I know Katie very well. We used to work together um, at AccuWeather. I know she's a big union fan. There you go. Okay, so there's something in the water here. I don't know what it is with the local meteorologists <laughs> support, supporting uh, the beautiful game, but we love it. You know, listen, I see your Argentina tweets on the feed. You know, I see uh, Kun Aguero, I see Lionel Messi, I see all of that. So I'm like, we got to get Violetto on the show to just, um, you know, tell us your story a little bit. I, I know you came to the United States from Argentina when you were young. Um, I would assume that just, you know, it's the biggest game down there and you just kind of, uh, still love and support your national team here. Um, but yeah, just sort of give us a little bit of that background and how you came to um, came to uh, enjoy the game. Yeah, so I, like you said, I was born in Argentina. I moved to the States um, when I was about five. I lived in New York for like one or two years before I eventually moved to North Jersey. And that's, um, that's where I grew up. And I actually always found it so funny that you know, I mean, soccer is huge in my house. Um, you know, my, my dad is nuts about it. My mom too. Um, and I played every sport growing up except soccer, which is just really random. I, I 
played a ton of basketball, softball. I was a cheerleader, but for whatever reason, I just never got into actually playing it myself, despite, um, you know, being um, a big fan. So, um, you know, my my dad is a River fan. My mom is a Boca fan. Uh, I'm a Boca fan, so it gets interesting at home sometimes. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, honestly, in terms of the uh, the fandom. That is one of the funniest things, I think, you know, when you're talking about soccer in, uh, you know, like South American households, my mom, I mean, nicest lady, you know, obviously everybody thinks her mom is the nicest lady, which is really nice, like pretty meek for the most part. But, you know, when the games come on, I mean, she is yelling, she is screaming and I, I just, I just think it's so, it's so funny. So yeah, even though I moved here pretty young, um, I will say, and that's, you know, credit to my parents <clears throat> that they did a really great job, you know, especially as you get older and you're able to sort of realize those things, they did a really great job of keeping us connected to, um, our culture and also, um, helping my brother and I maintain the language. Cause a lot of times, you know, if you move here at such a young age, um, without sort of a concerted effort, it can be difficult to, you know, maintain even the language. So um, that's something that I'm really proud of. And um, I'm glad that they, you know, they did that sort of went above and beyond to make sure, you know, obviously, we wanted to prioritize um, assimilating to this new place that we're living and learning language and um, American customs and all of that. But um, it wasn't at the expense of, you know, forgetting sort of where, where we came from. So um, that's something I'm really proud of. I'm always, I'm always fascinated in fandom, you know, and like the genesis of it. And it's a topic we talk about a lot on the podcast because it defines Philadelphia. You know, everybody's like, well, I was born here. Phillies, Flyers, six, you know, Eagles, you know, four for four. They do all that stuff. Right. But like, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you went, so if your dad is a Boca fan and your mom is a fan of another team, how does that trickle down to you and your siblings? How do you end up like picking, picking a team? Is it who, what parent has the most influence? Is it which team you like the best? Like, how does that all work out? So in, ter in terms of the uh, Argentina fandom, my brother and I played it safe. I I'm a Boca fan. It's a little, I, I don't follow the team as much as I would like, obviously, as much as I do the national team. So I think that's kind of where we were able to sort of keep the peace yeah. and just keep the focus on the national team, um, you know, and kind of check in on stuff on our own. But in terms of really, really um, following the team and you know, I'm watching the games together and, and, you know, planning for those kind of things since they live in um, Jersey and obviously I've been here in Philly. Um, that's sort of been the way that we've been able to, uh, you know, skirt those issues is to focus on the, uh, on the national team. And my, my brother, you know, we, we grew up in, in North Jersey. So he's, you know, adopted sort of his, his teams up there too. He's a, he's a, I don't want to get cursed out here, but he's a huge Rangers fan like season ticket holder for many years. Oh, good. Um, so it's interesting to see how, you know, again, we've sort of kept the, you know, the fandom from our roots, but also made plenty of room for fandom, you know, for some of the more uh, domestic teams. I've always loved the atmosphere <laughs> down there, you know. Um, I've never been, but like you watch those games at, at La Bombonera or you watch, you know, River and Boca of um, – national team games in the Copa America of um, club games in the Copa Libertadores. And like, I, I just, the, the, it looks amazing. It's a bucket list thing for me to get down to South America and see a game down there. Um, can you just describe what it's like for the people down there, just the fandom in general and how much they support the game and, and how much they seem to love their, their teams and the, the great atmosphere that that creates? 
Yeah, I um, I was actually at La Bombonera um, last month, or actually two months ago in um, December. They didn't have a game, but oh, okay. it was actually my first time um, just, you know, visiting and going to see um, the stadium. And in terms of the environment, it, you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's incredible. Um, I'll never forget, I think the last time that I went to Argentina to visit my family, um my cousins are maybe five to ten i'm 37 my cousins are i think at that time they were probably my age now and um you know i was visiting i hadn't seen them in quite some time so i was just trying to think of things we could do so i said oh you know why don't we go to i think Boca was playing at home um or, or actually it might have been another local team and i said why don't we go check out a game <laughs> my cousins i think my one cousin was uh, pregnant at the time um, but the others weren't, and they were like, um, it's not really the sort of family environment you're probably used to. A little, it's a little more intense than uh, most people would uh, realize. Yeah. Yes. So, I, you know, of course, at that time, I was like, ah, you guys are lame. But then, you know, as I've gotten older as well, you know, they have a bunch of kids now. Um, now that I really think about it, it probably would have been a little insane for us to go. Um, the stadium in La Bombonera, it's really nuts um, how it's just one of those where you can like feel the history, like as you're walking up, um, you know, it, it's it, it's an older stadium, of course, you know, and I think I think making that effort to sort of um, keep things you know, up to date, I guess, but sort of preserving the history as well is what makes those, those kind of places special. Um, it's, it's the environment. There's like a certain charm. There's like a certain charm to it. Isn't there? It's like when you, when you go down to like, like you go down play like the, um, the Azteca in Mexico, like in Mexico city, like they've been playing in there, there for like forever, you know? So these stadiums just become like a historic part of the the club and, and whatnot. La, La Bamonera, I believe too, has like a, like, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like one of the sides is like kind of steep and like butts right up against yes. the road. And so it's like when you when you just compare it's like the average like uh like you know cookie cutter uh, American like soccer stadium or football stadium or something. It does look really unique in the way that it's like designed and the way it sits there um in the in that part of the neighborhood. Yeah, and it's it's in a really unique um neighborhood um in Buenos Aires too. There there's a an area there called Caminito where like all of the buildings are painted all different colors. It's very colorful. There are a ton of murals. It's just very, very pretty um, walking through there. However, you know, you really can't stray too far from, you know, some of those more uh, common and, and touristy areas. And, you know, that was something that even I noticed too, um, waiting to get a cab to um, head back to the hotel. And I was just like, oh, okay. You know, things have changed here yeah. <laughs> in the last yeah. like block or two. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the fact that the, you know, with Boca, you know, one of the sayings they always use, you know, Boca es pueblo, like Boca is, is, is the neighborhood, like Boca is the people, like sort of a lot of sayings um, with that gist. And I can, I, you feel that because the, the neighborhood is on top of the stadium, like literally you step out of there, you get past um, you know, whatever street that is right on the side of the stadium where, the, you know, they sell the t-shirts and all of that. Half a block over, you know, people live right there. So it, it, there's just less separation. Yeah. I think, too, that really makes people feel 
that, you know, I, I don't, maybe not everybody can afford to go to games all the time. I don't know how much they're, you know, it costs these days, but it, I can absolutely see why it makes people really feel like they are a part of it and really have a, a stake in it because even just the physical proximity, I think is, is yeah. pretty cool. You know, um, the union, Philadelphia union have had a couple origin of a couple of players from Argentina over the years. There was a guy in 2010 named uh, Eduardo Cude. Um, El Chacho was his nickname. We had a guy named Christian Maidana who played here in 20, um, 2014, 2015. Major League Soccer, actually, believe it or not, has had like a ton of success with importing players from Argentina. Um, just like really talented and, and skilled guys. And I, I think the thing that's most interesting to me is they when they come over here, they say that they love playing over here. I think maybe because it's like, Part of it is because, number one, like people leave them alone and they're allowed to just kind of like walk down the street, like be who they are. They don't have like people like, you know, in their face all the time or whatever. Um, You know, the way of life is just a little more calm over here. But there's really like this amazing pipeline of guys coming from Argentina um, to the United States and they seem to love it. It's almost like kind of become like a like a second pathway for them, because I think like I think back in the day you had guys who would be raised in Argentina or like in the case of like a Lionel Messi or like a Sergio Aguero or something. They were good enough to go right to Europe, you know, but now like some of them are seeing a stepping stone. It's like, hey, I can come play in Philadelphia. I can come play in Portland or whatever. And, um, you know, now I can I can go to Europe from there you know, like make that kind of like a stepping stone until the next thing, you know, I'm just kind of curious what, what you make of that, of, 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 you know, people from South America, not just Argentina, but seeing like the United States is a viable place to come before they then go overseas. You know, I obviously, I, I do remember um, Maidana. I was, I was here for that. That was, in, yeah. I came to Philly in 2014. I do remember him. Um, I, you know, I would have to guess it has something to do with the sort of structure um, you know, in, in a lot of Latin American countries, I think just with the overall culture being a little bit more laid back, um, a little bit more casual, and, and that does include, you know, oftentimes, even in, um, you know, some like business settings and things like that, I can see, you know, people really, especially if they're still relatively young, uh, really liking the United States for the structure it provides. Um, even things as simple as, you know, uh, you know, you have a meeting at, at this time and it's just very structured in that way. Um, you know, even me having sort of experience working in, um, you know, dual newsrooms, um, having bilingual roles that where, where it's very sort of multicultural, you can actually even see those differences sometimes. Um, I remember when we first launched our Telemundo station, at first we were at, uh, you know, our old station was over on City Ave in mm-hmm. Bala Kimwood. And when we first launched the station, we were a very small group. It was only a handful of us, but are you guys we all were, down in down in the tower now? Do they move you guys down into the yes. center city? Yeah, yeah, yep. okay. yeah. So yeah. we're all here together. Um, but at the time, it was you know it was a brand new station, so it was only a handful of employees. Even I mean, despite that, though, we were easily the loudest. You know, everybody shows up. Everybody you know gets a hug. Everybody gets a kiss on the cheek, like to show up to work. And we realized after a little while, we we're like, oh, you know, I guess that's not normal here. <laughs> you know, people don't do that. So. Um, we had to kind of like dial it back, you know, and, and so I think things like that, just providing a little more structure, um, maybe things are a little bit more straightforward. I can definitely see people from um, Latin American countries in particular that I think tend to be very sort of warm and friendly. And there's a lot of positives to that, too. Yeah. Um, but I can see the the, the structure being um, being appealing. I only got two more for you. Um, number one, Argentina played in the United States uh, in 2016. 
in the uh, Copa America Centenario, which was played outside of South America for the first time, I, I think ever. It was like a special celebration or whatever. Um, Argentina played the United States um, in North Jersey. Did you go to that game? I did. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> I did. Um, it was awesome. I think, you know, when I get so many questions about that, when, you know, Argentina is playing the States and in, in something, you know, obviously in basketball too, people are like, well, what are you going to do now? <laughs> um, I think volleyball is another one. Um, tennis also, we have um, some great tennis players out of Argentina too. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. It's, uh, it does get a little challenging, you know, sort of deci- deciding who I'm rooting for, but it's, the environment was awesome. Whenever Argentina does play here, even though oftentimes when they do come, I think the last handful of times um, I did see Leo once, um, but then I think the other two times I played, I don't yeah. think he uh, he didn't play. Yeah. But he did play the one time I went, and it's just awesome. Honestly, the um, the games at uh, Giant Stadium there are great. Or I think you know. Red Bull Stadium. Do they change the name for when they play, or do they still say Giant Stadium? No, I, th- I think it was. Well, they play in different um, in different spots. I'm trying to think. I think the um, the Copa America Centenario semifinal was in was at MetLife, so the Giant yeah. Stadium, and then Red Bull Arena is in uh, Harrison, um, like a like yes. a couple neighborhoods over. Yeah, and then New York City plays in Yankee Stadium, so they don't even have a spot. But yeah, I think it was in East <laughs> East Rutherford where they. Uh, yeah, because I yes. remember Ar- Argentina beat us like four nothing or something like that. It wasn't it, uh, it wasn't even close. But I saw the Argentina <laughs> fans enjoying enjoying it, you know. So yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I, I really like going to games there. I think you know in um, at you know MetLife now, North Jersey is just so diverse. There's a huge, huge Latino population up there. You, not only you know the New York Latino population is enormous. But North Jersey, even as a standalone, has an enorm- enormous um, Latino population. So the turnout is always really, really great. Um, so I really like going to games up there. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the idea of uh, trying to reach out and get more people interested in the Philadelphia Union. I mean, look, you go to the games, and it's, it's a suburban stadium. It's largely white families. And, you know, the Sons of Ben in the supporter section in the River End. It's a little younger. It's a little more urban. You know, there's a little more diversity there for sure. But I, th- I think the thing with the Philadelphia region is, you know, you have, um, you know, immigrant families or, um you know, Spanish speaking neighborhoods where they have like, you know, if you come from Mexico, for example, you have your Mexican team, you love your Mexican team. Right. And, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Union are outnumbered in their own stadium when club America comes to town, you know, but, um, you know, I think we've, we've struggled a little bit in like outreach and getting them to care about the union too. And, uh, there's a, there's a, a fertile ground of soccer fans around here to get that, get them interested, you know, and I'm not sure how we reach out to them or, uh, how we convince them to say, Hey, we want you to, we want you to be part of this. You know, like there's plenty of room here. Jump, jump on with us. Yeah, you can still support uh, San Lorenzo or Boca juniors or Ignacio La Plata, whatever, but you know, you, you can support us at the same time. And, you know, you would know better than anybody how you would even like start going about that. Like, how do you convince people to jump on board and like, uh, you know, join us at the same time? You know, I, I, I would have to assume, you know, accessibility it would be a huge part of it. You mentioned even just the sort of physical um, distance from the, you know, core Latino population in this area, which is in um, North Philly, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, just the physical distance alone, I'm sure, is, is quite a bit of a challenge. Um, now, 
you know, the solution to that, I, I have no idea, you know, building a stadium in the middle of the city, you know, that, that's, that's a whole other problem. But I, yeah. I certainly can see why that alone presents a lot of problems. You know, if, if you're living in the city, oftentimes people, um, you know, don't have cars or, you know, wouldn't even know how to get, um, you know, out to the stadium or another issue you know, if you're you're an immigrant and you are moving to the states, you're coming to to work and you know and work hard and provide for your family. So I would I think even that sort of um, maybe lack of work life balance for some people, you know, who are working long hours and yeah. um, maybe jobs that are less flexible with in terms of getting time off to, you know, do certain things. So I would say, you know, those two things alone um, are, are pretty big challenges because, you know, Latinos love their soccer. I mean, they love their soccer. Like you said, um, you know, you bring the the national teams and, you know, the turnout I'm sure is, is pretty good, but, I, I, I don't know if it's a sort of one, uh, you know, one size fits all solution, but I, I would say finding a way to sort of bridge that um, physical distance. I don't know. I, I, I think that is, is a big, is a big hurdle. People not only um, having the time to, you know, go to games. I'll, I'll be honest. When I was growing up, we, I didn't start going to games until I was much older, you know, we couldn't afford it. My dad used to get free, um, free Nets tickets through work eventually. So that was really great. And I kind of yeah. started getting onto, you know, like the sports scene and stuff. Um, but football games, for example, I went to my first American football game. <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't know, maybe between five and 10 years ago. Um, Cause it just wasn't something we could afford. And, you know, I had been here, my family had been here since we were five years old. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, you can imagine yeah. somebody who's immigrating a little bit later in life. Um, those things are just sort of extras that I think, unfortunately. It's, yeah, no, it's fun. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say like, I, and you know, like the topic of like being priced out of games or not being able to, uh, unable to access games or whatever that, that goes beyond just like uh, demographic things too. You know, if you're like a working class, like totally. white, white South Philly guy, like now it's, it's hard for you to get to the Sixers game, you know, cause those tickets Absolutely. are so expensive, you know? So then you have like the added, added, like, layer on there like that i would just ask too like do you do you um you know let's let's say for instance like uh if i have like a costa rican neighborhood in north philly or something like that if there's a costa rican player playing for the union or like a latino player playing for the union does that peak interest for people like do they look at the team and say hey that's one of my countrymen or like I'm, i know this guy from the national team or whatever like do you think there's like a um like an amount of buy-in that comes from that when they look at players that they recognize or players that are like them oh I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, also consider it this way. If you know, you, if you're an immigrant, right, you've moved to another country and you randomly in the city of Philadelphia or wherever come across another person who happens to be from that country. It's, it's an instant, um, it's just an instant sort of connection. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, this person knows where I'm from. This person knows, um, you know, at least something about my background. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. Um, you know, I, I have, of course, you know, my, my favorite sports, but I, I try to be um, sort of keep an eye on even the sports that maybe I don't follow necessarily every single day. But for those sports, 
I might not watch every day, but if there's an Argentinian player on that roster, <laughs> I know him. I know his name and I know where he's from and I'm going to represent. So, I, I mean, I, I imagine for everybody else, it's exactly the same. So to answer your question, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, well, listen, we'll work on getting Lionel Messi over here. <laughs> I know. We need to get these meetings going. I know. I know. It was so stupid. It was like, I, I looked, I had this article that I wrote like two years ago. It was like a shit post. It was, just, I, I looked at the date of it and it was like August of 2020. So I'm like, all right, it was like right in the early part of the pandemic. I probably had nothing else to write about. You were so I did like, delusional at yeah, that I did time. Like, yeah. Yeah. So anytime I think it was uh, Messi was like, there was reports that he was getting ready to leave Barcelona at the time, you know? So I'm like, I got nothing else to write about. Why don't I make up a story about getting him to Philadelphia? And I came up with all these like, fugazi ideas of getting him here like oh he can walk around you know unperturbed and uh it's a change of scenery what else did i write down here delaware county is a great place to raise a family right you know i had like all these uh we were really you can tell we were really like stretched for content it's got, it's got, it's got nothing on paris though. it's got nothing on paris and so he ends up going to paris but every time there's like a messy report I, somebody photoshopped like a picture of leo messi and like a bimbo jersey and a philadelphia <laughs> jersey and said like welcome to philadelphia i think i um I got a lot of mileage out of that, uh, out of that meme. It was, it was good. Yeah. I, I do, I do agree that the timestamp on that is relevant. <laughs> there was a lot happening at that time. Yeah, yeah. We were, yeah. we were all going through a lot. I know, I know. We, you know, what all the sports guys were doing back then? They were like, they were watching. Um, nobody had anything to write about because all the sports were shut down. So everybody was watching like the Last Dance. You know, the Michael Jordan documentary, oh, they, were oh doing, they, they were doing like five part writing on like the Michael Jordan documentary. I'm like, is this really like what it's come down to? We have absolutely nothing. So we're writing about it. I, did, I did say, I think I actually tweeted this a while ago. It might have been like the one year anniversary of um, when that documentary came out, because I do remember I said the last dance documentary united this nation for about two days. Yeah. Yeah, we were yeah. all on the same page. We were all on the same page. Everybody watched it. Everybody was just once again, you know, in awe. If you saw Michael Jordan play, then you were sort of got to enjoy it again. If you're, you know, maybe a little younger, then you got to enjoy it in some cases for the first time. It just united everyone. I know. I know. You know? We should all we should all get an award for living through that. I was <laughs> I was pulling content out of my rear end. I was just trying to find anything I could uh and anything I could to write about. So there's the Leonardo well, story. As you know, um, far-fetched as it may be, um, I, I will always be down to join that committee. There you go. Okay, to, well, listen. To, Leo, to get Leo here. If Leo comes here, you'll be uh, at the airport waiting uh, <laughs> waiting to welcome Big sign. We'll get, yeah, big sign. We'll get the location from John Clark. Um, so <laughs> um, Violetta, listen, thanks. I appreciate you coming on. And um, I know that you're... Uh, moving to new york sooner going back there but you're invited to a union game um nonetheless and you can hit the drum or or uh, you know do it whatever <laughs> they do there so um, you're uh, another one of um an honorary part of the union family so thanks for for coming on and sharing some insight we appreciate it of course of course and i love that thank you philly will always be you know a, a second home for me so i appreciate you having me on i've been um you know following your you know your blog and your tweets for a long time too so i appreciate you having me on all right, let's see what you got in the way of questions, comments, and concerns. I also asked if you wanted to share a season prediction. Uh, Andrew's up first. He says, is Saturday shaping up for the Christmas tree? Uh, Paxton and Gosh Dog behind uh, Julian Carranza. No. No, it's not. No, they have Carranza. Uh, or got into the country. Uh, is supposed to get here Friday, but he probably is not going to play. 
Corey Burke got his green card. He's clear. Uh, Sergio Santos is clear too. So they have three strikers. They have three strikers, and they can go. Uh, yeah, they can play Quinn Sullivan or Paxton Aronson at a at a one of the striker spots if, if they really needed to. You know, so it'll probably be here. Let's do the, let's do the uh, let's do the lineup right. Uh, Carranza, Burke, I would say. Gage Dog at the 10. I'll say Leon Flock on the left, Bedoya on the right, Jose Martinez at the 6, and then your back line from last year, right? I think that's pretty much what can be expected. I'd like to see Pax and Aronson off the bench. We'd like to see a little bit of Jack McGlynn, and we'll see the third striker on there as well. So those will at least be three of the subs. Uh, all three points, he says, what is the greatest moment in center back history? Uh, don't say your headed goal against Perky Omen Valley. <laughs> Not, I didn't score against Perk Valley. We only played Perk Valley twice. We were only in the, we were only in the Pac-10 during my uh, senior year. Board I scored four goals at Boyertown. I played D mid and center back. I scored two against. Uh, <clears throat> oh my god, who was it? Twin Valley. I scored a brace against some team. No, it was for, there was like Muhlenberg or like Governor Mifflin or something like that. There was maybe three people watching that game. We were surrounded by cornfields. It was a road game in Berks County. I scored a brace. Both goals were taken from like one yard away. They were just like scrums in the box. And then uh, biggest goal I actually ever, or no, I had an assist. I had the game-winning assist against Wilson. Wilson had won like, hadn't lost at home in like 80 straight games or something like that. And, uh, we uh, beat him up there in their place, one nothing. I got the assist on the game winner. It was a shitty assist too. I just like kind of hacked at the ball in the box. But um, the greatest moment in center back history, man. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, can it be a goal? I don't know. I, I think maybe like maybe you go back to like an individual performance of like maybe one of those like great Italian center backs like shutting down a like a like a Messi or a Ronaldo or something like that or. Um, Van Dyke's had some great individual games, uh, you know. Uh, Italy 2006 in the World Cup, Cannavaro. Is it Materazzi getting Zidane sent off? That could be a good one. That's a good question. Maybe I'll look more into that for next time. Uh, Tallahassee Union, what's up? What up, Tallahassee? Um, question, what formation do you expect the Union to line up in on Saturday? It's going to be the 4-4-2 Diamond. Uh, the comment is, I'm glad the pod is around for another season. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you guys like the the show with Danny the other day. We got a, got a lot of good feedback for that. Thank you for listening. His concern is if the new strike force uh, can fill the hole vacated by Cashbur. And his prediction is that the Union finish uh, second in uh, the East and win MLS Cup. Tallahassee Union, of course, uh, Mike and uh, Ezra. Well, Ezra used to be part of it, but I guess he's not anymore. Um well, they're the original Tallahassee OGs. Uh, Steve says the podcast yesterday was a great listen. Looking forward to this one. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Trey Hoffner, he says, please keep up these podcasts. Always super insightful. Uh, no problem. Have you heard of any plans to put safe standing in the river end? I always thought it would be a good addition to the stadium. I have not heard anything about that. I, I would be interested in that, though. You know, a lot of the newer MLS stadiums do have it and are going with that. Um I know that been like a point of contention in the past. I don't know too much about the Sons of Ben, Keystone Ultras, like kind of you guys got to stand the whole time dynamic. You know, I mean, obviously I think with the team winning last year and being good last year, it seemed like things in the river end were hunky-dory. You know what I'm saying? Like it seemed like everybody was all good with that. You know, I think like uh, 
when the team's playing well and winning, the supporters section is rocking and, you know, you don't have any fake conflicts or anything like that. Um, Methyl Ethyl, um, uh, if you could explain the position numbers that you use, that would help many people's understanding of what you're explaining. I get the basics of soccer, uh, but having not played it, I don't have the position numbers down. Yeah, I can do a refresher for you. Um, you know, look, I, I don't even really like know what the gen. I, at this point, I forget what the genesis of it all is. But you know, basically, we you know we use different numbers: ten, eight, six. There are winger numbers as well, you know, and we call we use the number nine as well. So a number nine is a forward, a center forward, a striker. A number ten is an attacking midfielder. Um, you know, Daniel Gajdog, Brendan Aronson, right? Uh, your number eight is a, is a kind of a box to box two way midfield or so in the union system. The eights are Leon Flock and Alejandro Bedoya. Um, and when they played four two three one years ago, the number eight was, you know, Vince Nogueira or Warren Carvel, right? Kind of that ball moving guy who's less defensive, who does some does some shuttling. When I say shuttling, I mean moving the ball back and back and forth. They shuttle the ball from front to back, right, or back to front, I should say. And uh, then a number six is a defensive midfielder, right? That's kind of, those are the only really the ones that we use. And it was kind of to delineate between uh, midfield positions that people otherwise might have a hard time nailing down. Like we don't use number, what are the center backs? I think like three, center back is like three. One of the center backs, we don't say that. We just say left-sided center back, right-sided center back, LCB, RCB, right back and left back, forwards and strikers. And we don't even really use number nine all that frequently too. Historically, number nine kind of meant like a lone striker, like a center forward up top. You know, so your number nine is your forward. Your number 10 is your attacking midfielder. Your eights are your box to box midfielders. And then your uh, number six is your defensive midfielder. So um, Eric says, who's your favorite guest on the show? Oh man, we've had so many good ones. You know, I love when Jim comes on. Danny's great. Uh, Dave Zeitlin. Dave Zeitlin's my favorite by far. Got to get him back on. Um, not the George, you know, all the, all the, like Russ and I have a lot of fun. I like, uh, I like having former players and coaches and some new guests and stuff on, but I think the bread and butter of the podcast is always, you know, the, the beat writers and other people who can just shoot the shit and we can just riff off of each other and, and just talk about the game. You know, I think that's, those are my favorite shows for, for, for sure. You know, uh, Chris Cordeaux at shit ass. Uh, he says no question. Um, but thank you for pronouncing my name correctly and putting uh, putting over my at in episode 145. Hey, no problem, Mr. Shit Ass. Thanks for listening, at Shit Ass. Uh, Zach Lobasso. Lobasso. Sorry, Zach. Um, do you think Gosh Dog takes the leap to Zellerion and Mukhtar levels this off uh, this season? Uh, no. No, I don't know. I don't know what to think of Gosh Dog, man. He's, he's the X factor, isn't he? I mean, he's got to be like Mukhtar. I, I, you know, he can take a leap, yes, but Zellerion and Mukhtar, are like you know, top tier, like tier one, like S tier guys in MLS, you know. So I, I don't know if he takes that leap, but I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he's got this year and then answering the question of what was up with last year. You know, was it tired legs? Was it you know acclimation? Was it kind of not not understanding the role right away you know he's probably you know if you take away all of the new signings and say who am i most excited to see this year it's gosh dog for sure for sure more than pax and more than mcglynn i think because i do know what those guys are i still don't really know what gosh dog is 
you know, and if he doesn't work out, I mean, then you go to Paxton Aronson and he's, he's got to be the guy, you know. Uh, Chase says, what's the rule of getting players loaned to MLS next pro? Could we see Finley getting some minutes? I'm not sure. I got to look more into that. I'll try to find an answer on that. Um, Darren says, uh, how do we reconcile the gosh dog Aronson dilemma without the Christmas tree? Otherwise one plays at the expense of the other. It's going to have to be that, you know, I mean, look at pack, look for packs to definitely get on every game, 70 minutes or 65 or 75 or something like that. But yeah, you're going to need to get him some starts to at some point. Right. That's a very like low key interesting storyline this year. You know, you hear all this stuff about Paxton and teams being interested in him, but he's got to play like his brother played. I, I mean, not stylistically, but like he's got to be on the field like as much as his brother was. You know, uh, Dave says, "What's with the what's the deal with the team never formally announcing Elsino and Colin weren't coming back? I.e., like uh, why didn't they get the thank you tweet? Uh, they were even still on the website roster page this week." I have no, I have no idea. Um, he shared another tweet here that says uh, Ilsenio's sister doesn't seem too happy about the silence on the union side. I don't know. It was really weird, wasn't it? We didn't, we never got anything official on those guys, right? Colin Ilsenio. I don't know. I don't. Know, it's bizarre. I mean, and those guys contributed. I mean, Aurelian wasn't on the field a lot, but Ilsenio was massive for this team. I mean, like surely there's got to be like a thank you or, or you know, we appreciate what you did for us. Kind of put put a bow on it. Kind of tweet, right? Yeah. Um, unkempt surfer. He says, uh, you know, Curtin announced that Orr is on his way to the U.S. Could he? Uh, he could be here as early as Friday. Uh, do you think they wait a couple weeks to play him? Minutes restriction. Yeah, I mean, he's got to train with the squad at least one week. I think they'll play him next week. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, it's not Ben Simmons trying to get his mental right, you know, or James Harden's hamstring during the All Star break. Like they paid, you know, a good fee to get this guy over here so unless he's not fit i'm sure he's like he'll be fit enough and he's been like working out and keeping in shape right it's not like he's injured or been on the shelf or anything they just got to ramp him up a little bit and then get him like you know 60 minutes in his first start or bring him off the bench and play him 35 off the bench and then ramp him into a start from there so that's how i think they're gonna do it um uh looks like that's about it um yeah hey listen um two podcasts this week you know i, I wanted to get uh danny and uh, violetta both on I, I one was able to do tuesday and i was able to do thursday so i was just like fuck it let's just spread the um space map we'll do two shows instead of one so two for the price of one a twofer uh a twofer thursday as we get ready for the uh season opener looking forward to it we'll talk to you guys then oh by the way uh i, I almost forgot um this year, I'm going to be doing the post-game radio show again on The Gambler. Uh, I'm not going to be doing every game, though. I'm going to do every other game, I think. So I'm going to do it on Saturday, and then I'll do it next week as well, and then I'm going to go every other from there. Just cutting it back in half, uh, family stuff, two little kids. You know, it was hard to make that commitment last year. So I'm probably going to be on every one of them. Joe Tanzi, John Jansen are going to be doing it. Sean's going to be doing it. Definitely tune in, uh, support those guys as, as we did last year. Uh, post game show is still going to be on after every game. I'm only going to be on half of them though, and uh, we are looking at doing an event uh, down at the stadium, hopefully in the spring or in the summer, another live show. Now that the COVID shit has subsided a little bit, so I look for that. Hopefully, I can get that scheduled and detailed. And uh, yeah, and then we'll see you um, when we see it. Also, I don't really care about this, but go on. Uh, 
Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star review. We're at 4.8 right now, and some guy left me a three-star review because he didn't understand the IPA joke. He thought I think he thought I was being serious about the IPA hate or whatever, um, which I kind of am, but he's bringing our rating down. we got to get it up to 4.9 or 5, so I will shamelessly take any five-star review I can get from anybody as we grow the podcast into the future. <laughs>